All right. So we're today talking about the Sam Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man films. Yes. Uh, Spider-Man from 2002. Spider-Man 2 from 2004. Yep. Yep. And then Spider-Man 3 from 2007. What do you... We love these movies. What are your thoughts on these movies? <laughs> I do love these movies. I think Roger Ebert said that Spider-Man 2 was the best superhero film he'd ever seen. And once he said that, everybody just ran with it and started calling it the best superhero film of all time. I don't know if it's the best superhero film of all time, but I know it's definitely the best of those Spider-Man films. And probably the best Spider-Man film. Uh, Yes, it's the best one of the... Th- oh, you mean ever? All time? I think all time. End of the Multiverse is my... It's still animated, though. Which are real know. movies, sir. Uh, of but course, no, of course they're real movies, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're still not going to get an Oscar for it. I mean, it's not going to be... A, someday? Someday? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. just like uh, Parasite? Parasite. Yeah, what about it? Yeah, uh, it was the first film to ever win Best Oscar, or, or Best Picture and Best Foreign Picture. Oh, really? Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were never able to cross that line before. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as live action movies go. And no, I would say Spider Man 2 is still more enjoyable than Into the Spider Verse. Into the Spider Verse is a great film and it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's a, it's hard out of the senses. Like, it's a little much, I thought, at times. But Spider Man 2 is, is right there. It's in the pocket. We loved these movies. Uh, what do you actually, think about them? I really enjoy them. Uh, I have a lot of issues with Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man Part 1 is good. There's some dialogue in there that's definitely comic book dialogue, and that's mm-hmm. the point, and I get it. But it's just fine. But they take that formula, and they improve on everything for Spider-Man 2. And then for Spider-Man 3, you, you know, we've heard this a few times since we've started doing this studio interference yeah the studio sabotaged this movie i didn't do it and it's sounding like a really regular excuse yeah it seems like hollywood's go-to and i i don't think that that's true for spider-man 3 honestly i think it's raimi's fault that it's not a better film but i don't say it's a bad film i just don't think it worked yes well it's never fair to call something bad well all i mean is on like the podcast on twitter you, you can all you want you watch a movie like that and people are just like i hated that part and i hated that and i hated that to me i was like nothing in spider-man 3 do i hate i like all of it i really do everything about it i totally like but a l- most of it doesn't work together that's the problem. So it, it makes it a not a successful film. But I'm like, I really don't dislike anything about it. I even like Topher Grace as Venom. How dare you? It even was fine. How it's totally dare fine. You? <laughs> Topher Grace is actually why the words white privilege got invented. Oh, come okay. on. What's, he the, is what's wrong with so him? so bad. He has played <laughs> one character his entire career. And we but saw that it was the character he should have played. Like that was that was his version of Eddie Brock, and Ugh. I see that because his version of Eddie Brock fit into that world. It really did to me. Like who was McGuire gonna go up against? He already had Osborne, Harry Osborne. He already has Franco as Osborne to go up against. Like who's he gonna go up against for? 
his rival at the Daily Bu- at the Daily Bugle. Like, what actor is he going to go up against? I thought Tover Grace was a pretty good choice. What do we care about <laughs> his rival at the Daily Bugle? Okay, what all Again, I heard about. Again, it's it's to- I agree. It's totally overstuffed. It may not even it shouldn't mean pride not even been in there. But since it was, I was fine with the fact that it was Tover Grace. That's all. That's my point. That's <sighs> I think I just I had no idea how much I hated Tover Grace until last night. That's interesting because he's he hasn't been in bad. Like, what have you hated about him? Like, he was in Traffic. Name a movie. I love that '70s like, show. It was a great show. So then he goes he, on to do movies. He's in St- Soderbergh's films. He's in Traffic. He was good in that, right? He's playing. Name the a same movie character. that's better because Topher Grace was in it. I don't know many movies with Topher Grace in it. All I know is Traffic. Okay. Oh, and Spider-Man Three. Topher Grace. I haven't seen anything. He was in this '80s-inspired movie called Take Me Home Tonight. And I enjoyed that, but I haven't seen yeah. anything else really that he was in. All right, here we go. Tilford Grace filmography, go Traffic. Wow, first movie, Traffic. There you go. I know, that's what I'm saying. The much-remembered Oscar award-winning Tilford Grace vehicle, Traffic. Yes. <laughs> what, what was he, what did he even do in that movie? He was a asshole boyfriend of uh, Michael Douglas's, who was like the drug czar. His daughter was a like cokehead. And yeah. he was her asshole boyfriend, and that was oh. it. So they were just were getting high all the time. That was it, you know. But it was a, the the irony is that her father was the drug czar. Ah, ha There's screen and everything. Uh, then he's in Ocean's Eleven as himself. I don't remember that. Mona Lisa Smile, the famed Topher Grace vehicle. Didn't see it. Uh, win a date with Tad Hamilton. Didn't see it. I mean, uh, I've purposefully not seen some of these movies. Like I'm not watching that Todd Hamilton shit. Basically, uh, or Ted, we got Tad Hamilton in Good Company. He was in, and he was a big piece of that movie. He was gonna date Dennis Quaid's daughter or something. Yeah, or, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it, and Dennis saw. Quaid was good. He was in Predators. I didn't watch. Did you ever see Predators? I did. I did with uh, Andrew Brody or Adrian it, Brody. Yeah, is that any good? Uh, eh, it's forgettable. I'm a big fan of the Predator series, and it's the only one I've really skipped. But yeah, this—he keeps getting work. He just keeps getting work. He's he was just like David Shia Duke. LaBeouf, you know. Oh, oh, that's right. He was David Duke in Black's Klansman. Yeah, he was really good in that. Was he? You got to give him another shot. You know, I know I will he's give... Topher Grace, and he's always going to be Topher Grace. That's just who he plays. But he's when he's casted correctly and to play that character, he does a bang up job. I think he's perfectly fine. You think he's perfectly believable as here's, a white supremacist? Exactly. Here's the thing. Here's what I hate about him. That his name is Christopher. And the short that he chose is not Chris, but Topher. Don't you want to just fucking punch someone in the face? Oh, uh, after I did got Did you know them, that? Did you know uh, that his name is Christopher? I did not know his yeah, name was Christopher. That's what they did with that. That's like people who are named Alexander, and their name's not Alex, but it's Xander. So back on track, um, one of the big problems I have with Spider-Man 3 is that, and it, it, I do squarely put this on Sam Raimi, is he had more creative control than he had ever had. He was personally involved with getting that story together yeah. more than he had or in the previous movies, and I think he botched it. And I think we can really point to this movie is that I'm guessing a little bit of burnout that led to him not doing films for a long time. Yeah, I, I agree totally. Even though from from what I saw about the behind the scenes stuff for this movie, he looked like he was having a good time making it. I feel like he just 
wanted to be done making spider-man movies they worked on spider-man 4 for a while yeah and i think it said that the script went through like seven rewrites or something and he just couldn't find a script that worked for him at all the sum of the parts are the problem in the third movie but this is our segue to start talking about the first movie is the story they tell of peter and mary jane is very effective to me and it wraps up nicely with a thought of where would we go from here in the third movie. So I feel it's successful because they kept it personable. It's a, it's really Spider-Man, of course, the focus, but it's really about Peter and Mary Jane. It actually goes back to something you said about Roger Ebert calling this the best superhero film of all time. If you are looking at superhero movies, the judgment would probably be Batman would be the best superhero movie of all time for Ebert. Yeah, probably, right? I mean, we could probably look and not put words in his mouth, but that's just where we're going to guess. I believe he mentioned Superman. Oh, Superman is also very good. But I find that hard to believe because Superman's got some issues too, even though it's a good film, but yeah, it's got there. some issues. Yeah, he did say Superman. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I was going to say is these movies take the plot structure of Batman where they give their villains clear strong arcs and in batman anyway their batman didn't really have very much of an arc it was more batman bouncing off of these villains yeah and in this they it's like they looked at that structure and they were like let's do that but give spider-man just a little bit of a real life i thought about the batman films too because uh, when we did our podcast on burton's and schumacher's batman's we came to the realization that the villains are what drive this movie. <laughs> Batman yeah. doesn't do anything. He just waits for the villains to do the next thing, and then he responds to it. He's always reactionary. Uh, and I was like, this is why the Spider-Man movies work better. Uh, and even Nolan's Batman films, same thing. They work better as a, as a series of movies because Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is the focus. He's the one that has a direct connection to pretty much every villain and he's the one that drives the story forward and having the characters have their arcs and that being what drives stories um i wanted to change stuff up with the way we talked about the movies a little bit today mm-hmm. and i want to kind of just go from cast or character to character and just talk about them and the role they have in the movie and we'll just save spider-man for last and okay. so like if we do franco we're going to cover his entire arc over the course of the three movies. Right. And this is where I think maybe we'll discover some more, if we want to call them quibbles, but some issues with the movies. Right. So let's start with Ben Parker, Cliff okay. Robertson. <laughs> that was not who I... Okay. He dies in the first movie. <laughs> he dies Next. in the first movie. <laughs> but... He comes back in the third movie to give advice. He comes back in the second movie, too. I didn't see... Uh, is he in there, too? Yeah, he. that's that's where he starts his flashback. That's where he starts his Obi-Wan Kenobi-ish uh, reappearance um, is in the second movie. So everybody knows, and if you don't know, you haven't Probably watched his best these scene movies. In, in number two, I think. I really connected more with Ben watching it this time than I had when I was a kid. I think I was too young to appreciate yeah, what they were trying now, to do. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so Cliff Robertson, uh, winner of a Best Actor Academy Award, 
Um, I just saw him in a, an episode of The Outer Limits. Remember that show? Like the yeah. Twilight Zone knockoff? Yeah. I think it was like their first episode. He's in it. It's not a very good episode, but he's great. You know, it was like from like 61 or whatever. And I was like, Uncle Ben. Nice. Uncle Ben in or traditional Spider-Man lore is the driving force for Spider-Man being Spider-Man. Um, and it's, these movies do a pretty good job of being faithful to big elements of the comics. Mm-hmm. And making small tweaks here and there. So Ben is killed by a mugger that Peter, as Spider-Man, didn't decide to chase. And he's haunted by that. That what if, like, if I had stopped him, my Uncle Ben would be alive. And, I mean, they do have Ben kind of be like a wise old Buddha Jesus. Because he's, and he's murdered by Sandman. uh, Well, we don't know that until the third movie. (laughs) Um, but he even tries to <laughs> make Flint Marco meet Jesus and figure out <laughs> yeah, what right. he's doing wrong with his Cause, life. Because Ben Parker's a good man. Yeah. You know, the other thing I, I think why these movies succeed as opposed to the other Spider-Man films is that Aunt May and Ben are old. <laughs> and oh, that's so... the way they should be. They're supposed to be old grandparents, even though they're aunt and uncles. That's just what it is. I love Marissa Tomei, but that's not my Aunt May. I mean, are you kidding me? Just because oh they want to have Tony Stark hitting on her joke, I'm like, I just thought it was a bad move. I'm like, ah, come on. It's my Aunt May. I love Marissa Tomei in that role. Yeah, and she's it's great. so much it's such so much more accurate. That's how old an aunt is. Well, unless... yeah, of course. But this is not this is not how I grew up. And the, and and just to one little segue, like Spider-Man was it for me. I love oh, yeah. Batman too because I got into Batman around the same time as I got into Spider-Man. This was like early 90s, like 92. But Spider-Man, man, everything about Spider-Man. And one, and some of the first comics I got of Spider-Man were the Spider-Man classics where they were reprinting Amazing Spider or Amazing Fantasy number 15 with his first appearance and then Amazing Spider-Man number one through like 20 something or whatever. So I had all those. So when I was 11 years old reading Spider-Man for the first time, I was actually reading the very first issues of Spider-Man. So I didn't come in without that knowledge. Like I knew immediately how he started, even though I was buying the newer stuff, the Clone Saga, everything that was coming out in the 90s too. So that's why it, it meant a lot to me that Spider-Man, I was like, when I heard about a movie, I couldn't even visualize. Like, I didn't know, like, what is that going to look like? Like, uh, when they made Batman into a movie, he was wearing rubber. And they, of course, made the the changes, whether appropriate or not, that they thought they had to to actually pull off a movie. And I think they did it really well, but I was more, I was never more excited for a superhero movie than I was for Spider-Man when it was coming out in 2002. Like, for a year beforehand, I was all about it. I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, Spider-Man's coming out. This is gonna be the biggest thing in my life. Yeah, I, because you had gotten me into Spider-Man, and so I was also a fan. I oh, don't think welcome. quite on the level but i'm still shocked that mark bagley is still drawing that book mm-hmm. like that's insane to me yeah well he was doing the miles morales version of spider-man for a while but i don't know if he is anymore i feel like they handed it over this is i mean this is another this is just generational thing but now it's written and i think drawn by uh someone who of color and females that's just another uh difference than when i was you know all white guys were old white dudes were doing everything i loved (laughs) when i was younger and now that they're like you know and and brian michael bendis is the one who created 
Miles Morales, who is black and Hispanic. He's a white dude. But now I think it's actually drawn and written by people of color. So I don't know if he is anymore. There is actually an alternate title to these movies. And I was thinking of it earlier. It's the... It's not going to be complimentary, I can tell. When you come up with alternate titles, it's usually like taking the piss out of (laughs) whatever we're watching. Mediocre white men do stuff. (laughs) Look, this was Spider-Man, though. This is what I'm saying. This is Spider-Man. This is straight out of the 60s, updated for, listen, an early millennium audience. I mean, what are you going to expect? If you compare this film to... Tom Holland films. Yeah. Uh, Mary Jane is just as hot in both movies. And I yeah, don't I just... miss a random white haired, red haired girl, white red haired girl at all. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not the biggest Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane fan. I feel like she didn't, I don't know. I, st- I still think that she did more with a character than Zendaya ever has. She's just that fucking Daria. Well, girl. they are still in <laughs> high school in these films. <laughs> But that's not how you make a movie. That's not how you make a compelling characterization. Just have somebody be negative and shitty all the time. Like, I just was not getting it. She's emo, man. I know. You're a curmudgeon. Uh, Well, I just like a little old-fashioned storytelling. That's all, you know? And all they are doing, they're doing this thing now where, and uh, I think Jeff Garland, who works with uh, uh, Larry David, he's on Cobra Enthusiasm. He was on that Goldberg show. He's like the dad on there or whatever. You know, know classic sitcom comedy guy, you know? But he made a good point about how, like, he's like, I watch these new shows and they don't really tell jokes anymore. Like, comedy for people nowadays it has nothing to do about setup and punchline. It's all just, I think he called it a little dance. Like, this, this is the way they say things. That's the joke, is how they say it. And it's probably like Seth MacFarlane's responsible for that because, like, Family Guy has zero jokes in it, it's just situations that are bizarre and the way they talk makes you laugh. That's funny. So that is a very good point about how comedy is nowadays. And that's the Spider-Man movies to me is that everything funny in there is just because they react to things in a, in a weird way or they say things differently, but not a single thing they say is funny in the old fashioned way, I guess. So all I'm saying is like, I get it and I do laugh at things like that. But to me, I'm just an old fashioned guy where I actually like comedy to be jokes. Yeah, I'm not I'm not down with the new ones, but I still enjoy them. Curmudgeon, ladies and what gentlemen. What are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about <laughs> Andrew Garfield. This is the Andrew Garfield fan <laughs> We're not talking about Andrew Garfield. <laughs> I love that hair. And I was reading a Teen Vogue uh, issue that starred him about how he got that body in it. And do you know what it was? What? Cornstarch. <laughs> <laughs> the blood of young children. Um, no, uh, uh, rank the three Spider-Man suits from worst to best. Best to worst. Oh, I think the best one was probably Andrew Garfield. Was it? Yeah. Shit, it just fit, it fit appropriately. Like They didn't even try to make it look like it fit to him perfectly. He was like just this tall, skinny guy anyways. So it looks really good. Huh? It looks really good in that film. So you're saying that Andrew Garfield just looks really good. Well, maybe he had a better body for it. Yeah. Uh, Maguire, like that's a miss, I think. The spider suits in the Maguire series, to me, does not, it's not my version. It's not my favorite of Spider-Man. No, and I mean, the funny thing is, is Tom Holland's might be one of the best iterations of it in terms of. See, I don't like it, though, because it's too. They figured out a way to make it 
closer to the comic books than any of the others. I just I don't like all the flair that goes along with it. I don't like that it's basically an Iron Man suit. It's yeah, when too it's weird the standard me. red suit without the craziness, because they that's what the that's his suit in the comics now, isn't it? Like that extra blue stripe in the arms. No, it depends on what Spider Man. I don't know. It just depends on what you're reading. Like mm. Amazing Spider-Man, pretty much still classic. They've only changed it a little bit. For a little while, he had this. Yeah, it was like glowing green on the spider. He opened up Parker Industries, and he became a billionaire. Did you know that? Oh God. Yeah, because him and Mary Jane aren't together anymore. Like they, their whole marriage was dissolved. Like it never happened. By Mephisto. You know? Mephisto, exactly. <laughs> so he's a single dude, but yeah, he's a scientist. So he opens up Parker Industries, and he becomes this billionaire on the seriously on the level of Tony Stark. So he had this whole like two or three years worth of stories where he was like jet setting around the world and he had a brand new spider suit, but now he's not anymore. Now he's like living in a in a in a, in a room in an apartment in New York with Boomerang as his <laughs> as his roommate. Last I checked, and he was totally broke. Like the whole thing went under, and now he's just kind of normal Peter Parker again, bachelor, sur- uh, trying to survive. Yeah. But that's what you do with a character after 70 years or whatever. What are you going to do? It's <laughs> Ups true. and downs. That's what Comic books and cartoons, they never right. age. So, James Franco as Harry yeah. Osborn. No, let's what do, do you, Norman what do you first. Think? It would make more sense to do Norman first. Okay. W- yeah, Willem Dafoe is Norman Osborn. Normie Pants goes crazy after testing... Oh, Norman Osborn's rich and he owns something called Oscorp. <laughs> he goes crazy after testing a serum on himself because he wanted to get a contract. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Like, he wanted to hurry it along. Yeah, he likes, like, he makes, like, military weapons. Yeah, yeah, he's a standard Tony Stark bad guy. Right. But it drives him a little crazy. Norman hates his son, thinks he's a piece of shit, <laughs> but he loves Peter Parker. Yeah. He immediately sees value in that. He gets a costume that's a basically armor that his company made. Yeah, like a flight suit. Like a flight suit, and it comes with its own hoverboard and some bombs, and he goes around and he just starts fucking people up because he's basically crazy now yeah Um, but he seems to have no memory of it yeah it's like a split personality thing he tracks down spider-man and is like hey spider-man you and me we're cool we should hang out and spider-man's like no fuck you man yeah i'm a hero you're a villain we can't work together exactly and so norman doesn't like that and (laughs) it's really all it takes for his personal mission to be i want to kill spider-man just because I'm crazy and he doesn't want to hang out with me. Well, I think he also just knows that Spider-Man's going to be in his way. That's what you do as a villain. I mean, in his way of doing you... what, though? He wants to get revenge on the board of Oscorp because they kicked him out, even though he was the founder. You know, they voted him off the board, so he goes to kill them. He kills them at the in the Times Square set piece. Yeah, I don't know, there's just various things. But then it becomes personal for him because he finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah, you know? now the kid that he actually liked he's mad at and he goes to terrorize him and kick his ass and uh he picks on aunt may he yep. picks on mary jane and aunt may well this really... is classic this is classic comic storytelling it's classic. that's what the, that's what works in the movie is that he's a bad guy so what does he do he finds out who the hero is so he starts going after the family members i mean it's if i was a crazy bad person that's what i would do too that's the funniest part of the movie unintentionally funny is when he's like finish it and i know like, the brain 
the Lord's Prayer, you know. <laughs> that was a comic book line. So was... Norman has a good Norman has a good storyline. I think his work, uh, Willem Dafoe's work as Norman Osborn is truly effective. He's a great bad guy. Oh, he was um, so good. I Do think you... the costume is a miss. Like it's it's just not a good. Yeah, I don't know what they could have done because everything I ever saw, how they were going to do like an animatronic goblin face, probably wouldn't make much sense or look very good either. I don't think you could have had any portrayal that looked more like the comic and had it be able to pull it off. It's a pretty silly villain, really. I mean, yes. his look—he's a freaking green goblin with in a purple, purple jumpsuit. Jumpsuit. I mean, it's pretty hilarious. But they make him such a sociopath and such a psychotic killer in the in the comics that you let all that slide. You're just like, oh yeah, well he's fucked up, so it's totally fine if he's dressed for Halloween. And he but in the really... movie, you can't do that. And Defoe totally pulls this off like he's he, great he's great he's great do you remember much of defoe before this um because he was definitely sure around but i'm I sure don't... i knew him in some things but i don't i don't i can't recall at the moment yeah like i don't think i really knew about him until then but yeah he is active since 1980 yep. he's in the loveless and he's in the last temptation of christ Mississippi oh yeah burning. well yeah he was in last temptation of christ but again these are movies i watched before spider-man like i probably got into all these movies probably around that time you know born on the fourth of july the english oh, yeah, pacing totally. i fucking love that movie clear and present danger like he was very he was very active danger? yeah my john watched that more Clark. than any other film but yeah, Willem Dafoe is great, and he totally pulls this off. Um, yeah, and then he pops up consecutively in two and three to basically do the same thing, push his son to follow in his footsteps. He's a little bitch of a son. <laughs> because, I mean, he never thought much of his son because his son wasn't like him. That's the thing. And then he Peter. meets Peter, who's a little more like him, although he's not psychotic or as confident. But he likes the idea that he likes science. So he's like, oh, you're more like me. I like you. That's probably simplified in the story, but I get it. It makes sense. But it's 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 just one more little piece to make Harry jealous. That's all it's really there for. There's that really cutting line that Defoe has to Franco after he meets Kirsten Dunst. Oh, God. He basically just calls her a hooker. and yeah, Like she's only in it for the money like your mother or something like that. Yeah. And just get, your, get what you want now and then get out. Yeah. And... You know, cut he said it or something like that. And then Franco defends him. <laughs> it's his father. I mean, it's this powerful. He just force, called his know? girlfriend a hoe. And he's like, "That's my father. You don't know. You you should shut your mouth." Like it was. Yeah, he... I'd be happy if I was ten times or you know ten percent the man he ever was or something like that. Yes. Yeah, so just a little aggro with Kirsten is all. Yep. So yeah, James Franco. Do we have anything else to say about Norman? He's good. Franco, I think, is great in it, too. I think he's he gets the chance to fulfill his whole storyline. I think that's what's cool about the third movie, is that they give him the opportunity to be what they were pushing him to be in those first two. We'll get, Whether get it to works or not, I can't say. But I think that what they tried to do with it, may, to me, was a success. It's just fitting that Norman, Willem Dafoe, they give him a comic comic book accurate death, which yeah. is nice. I mean, being impaled on his own glider was how right. he originally died. Yep. Even though he didn't actually die. Yeah, I mean, the first movie 
sticks pretty close, you know. Uh, Spider-Man, he has organic web shooters, which was more of a technology uh, special effects reason for changing it up. Oh, yeah. It was just easier to do, like, you know, story-wise, it was easier to explain. He just had spider powers, so he has... Like, why Why did Stanley ever do that? I think it was a good move to have him make his own web shooters because then that became an issue. Like, he'd run out of web fluid. That would, that would help to be an issue. It would make him a little more fallible. But I just wonder why, from the very beginning, that was ever... Like, why didn't he just give him that power? Yeah. I don't know. I just always thought that was weird how, like, he's like, oh, yeah, and then he makes web shooters and talks about... Uh, making this with rubber cement <laughs> the webs I think <laughs> that their original conception was simply man that can walk on walls alright yeah, what do we call and that him? was it right yeah yeah you're right that's probably where it comes from anyway but he thought that uh, that technology that uh, you know Peter going home and making this amazing invention where he's making web shooters would be pretty far fetched and I think he was probably right um, yeah. of course that's what they had Andrew Garfield do in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, so you got to check that out. And I actually thought they made that work, <laughs> so maybe it was wrong. I don't know. Now I now I need to watch it. You need Dang to watch it. it. Franco Zosborn, his first, the first movie, he's pretty good and solid. He's Spider-Man's friend. He's the first of them to tap Mary Jane. I'm sorry. He's the first one of them <laughs> to, date. to date Mary Jane. To court gently, because <laughs> apparently Mary Jane dates. <laughs> everyone um, well that's what you do when you're in high school so i think that's fine you know, uh, right no they graduated high school within like a week of this movie starting they were in high school um, long uh, long enough for him to get his powers and that was all they needed yep it's like he got that those powers like two days before he graduated right harry is dating mary jane he's the son of norman and his arc is that he catches spider-man killing his dad which he didn't, but he catches Spider-Man with the body. Yeah, he assumes he killed him. And then he's mad about it all through Spider-Man 2 until... Yeah, where he has now, you know, he's fulfilling... He took over Oscorp because it's his now. Yeah. So now he's trying to be like his father. He's trying to run this business. So he's a little more serious. You know, he's like trying to be the big man now. And so he, being involved with Dr. Octopus, kidnaps Spider-Man. See, that's tricky. Yeah. Dr. Octopus kidnaps Spider-Man. For Harry. For Harry, yes. So yes. Harry can kill him up close and personal. Yeah. And that's when he finds out that he's his best friend, Peter. Peter. So what a great change in that storyline. Here's this kid. He loves his dad. His dad doesn't love him. He's trying to be like his father. He's trying to prove his worth. He has his best friend. He then becomes his father because he's murdered before they could ever reconcile. And he has this hatred for the person that killed his father. And then he finds out the best friend is the person that killed his father, at least in his mind. And that's really, he he tells Spider-Man where Doc Ock is so that Spider-Man can save Mary Jane. So they have a moment there where he still has, I think he's just yeah. too shocked. It's one of the greatest parts of the movie is when Peter says, what's happening is bigger than than you and me and i think that's one of the most powerful parts of the movie and i think that was just a great line of dialogue it was it was really good so we kind of leave it there but then in the third movie wait does he discover the hobgob or the green goblin at the very end of the second movie is when he's gifted the finding all of this goblin stuff because i don't think he realized who his father was right there might have been some inkling that he knew 
he might have been the Green Goblin, but I don't think so. And then we catch up to him. So here's Spider-Man his three. chance to kill Spider-Man by yep. becoming just as powerful as Spider-Man. He gasses up with the same stuff that made his dad yep. crazy, and he goes after Spider-Man. And then, oopsie, he bonks his head. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets amnesia. Very um, comic book. Yeah. Um, right? Right? Yeah, very All comic right. book. I'm and, not saying it is the perfect way to do it, but it still worked for me. Wasn't However, that... I wish they would have made him more goblin-esque. He's just some bad dude on a snowboard. Yeah. On a flying snowboard. It kind of bothered me. I was like, I think he should have been a little more Green Goblin. Like, he should have been the new Green Goblin. Maybe not. They would. It was their chance to improve on the suit, but they just kind of dropped it completely, and that's what I didn't appreciate. But then... He remembers who he is again, and he really wants to kill Peter. Well, because Peter had it easy. Oh, the guy forgot who he was. Perfect. We must be friends again. It was way too easy. <laughs> way too and easy. And that's why I was like, this is going to come to bite you. And that's exactly what it did, is that he, of course, remembered. So you're not going to get out of it that easy, Spider-Man. Yeah, and he like blackmails Mary Jane into breaking yep. up with him. Well, he's po- he's pulling things from his father's playbook where you find out who you're fighting, and then you go after the family there you go after their loved ones to tear them down and make them weak so you can destroy them in the end and then he confronts peter and he's like hey i'm totally dating mary jane again man ha <laughs> he's fucking funny in that scene too though i like that and when he like turns around and gives him that wink it's so stupid <laughs> um and then him and peter get into this big fight and peter blows up his face yeah uh, which I don't, I mean, it's probably for the best for James Franco. Cause you know, I like him a lot. I don't know why I keep talking trash. Like, but <laughs> just to be clear, I like James Franco. Anyway, right. Harry's hanging out at home. And something that I really dislike about this movie is he doesn't believe anybody that Spider-Man didn't kill his dad yeah. until his butler tells him that, He's pretty sure Spider-Man didn't do it. Oh, no. The wounds on your father yeah, matched right. his glider. So the butler totally knew he was the Green Goblin. <laughs> See, I never... The butler... The, who, whoever the fuck that guy is, like he must be Sam Raimi's like friend from when he was making student films or something because he's the worst actor in the movie. But he's so bad that it's funny that I oh. love that he is the butler. He's uh, so bad. John Bernard. Paxton. Yeah, he's not good. I mean, he couldn't, say, he couldn't say a line to save his life, but he's so funny, they put him in the movie. Anyway, I never thought that he was the single person that told, that corrected Harry's total, you know, thought. I always thought that Harry knew. Harry obviously knew that Spider-Man didn't kill his father. Harry knew that his father was the Green Goblin. Like, I just felt like there was always something in him that knew, and it was just him having to come to his own realization that he didn't want to think of his father as a horrible person, even though he was. It wasn't that deep. It was the butler. But it was deep. To me, it's deep. Raimi's deeper than that, to me, all right? And that's where my problems with three come in, is they don't... um, they don't earn the stuff they're doing. They tell you something, but they don't sell it to you. I don't know. I was along for the ride in all three movies. I just, to me, I everything hit me, and it, and it just made sense. Um, that's that's my only point is that it wasn't like the butler told him to me, but maybe to the other viewer, maybe to you, maybe to other people. 
maybe that's exactly what it was and that's why it didn't work but to me i was just like he's just saying what harry already knows and so harry shows up to help peter teams up the climactic final battle and it's good yeah he sacrifices himself yeah to save his best friend from and a, he has a great redemption arc, you know, so I think that's what's cool. So they did good by Harry Osborn, I believe. They almost nailed it, but Spider-Man 3 is such a mess that it's just... Meh. Yeah, again, the <laughs> the parts, the sum of all three movies to me is a great storyline, but some of the parts that make up the third part of the storyline are, they don't, they don't always fit. Off topic real quick, uh, we haven't talked about whether a movie passes the sequel test in a while. No, because I, I just feel like none of them do. And <laughs> yeah, these them. movies absolutely <laughs> fail. They cannot. Like... Well, I, I I think there's too many exceptions to that rule. Like we had this thing, but it only matters on movies that aren't franchises. Yeah, like this movies is are serialized. franchises. Of course, yeah, of course they're not going to match. I mean, yeah. of course they're going to set up for other movies or have to exist in the same world and all that stuff. Yeah, it's probably something that is good that it died off. So yeah, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, he's good. He uh, unfortunately doesn't get much to do in the third movie. That's what I think is a detriment to him. Like he's got a good scene or two, but he doesn't he doesn't take any active part in it. That's the thing that bugs me the most. His astronaut son is supposed is the original comic book person that brings Venom to Earth, and I feel like they totally wasted that by having Venom shoot in on an asteroid. That just happens. He, he didn't bring Venom to Earth. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. Spider-Man brought Venom to Earth. Oh, in the Secret Wars. Exactly. Wait, it was what? this new suit that he was gifted on the uh, Beyonders world where they fought the Civil Wars. Marvel just had this idea from a fan that gave him this idea. Like, wouldn't it be cool to have Spider-Man be in a black and white suit? And he had a little design. So they bought the uh, idea from this kid for like 200 bucks. I remember and that. And they yeah. just, yeah, they just used it in the Civil War. That's all it was. So when they brought this, him, so when he came back from the Civil War and he's just in his normal comics, they then just came up with this idea like, hey, what if that suit is this weird alien thing, symbiote thing, you know, that's like a parasite and it's trying to like bond with them. That's all. That's where it came from. No, what I was talking about or the reason I said this, I was goofing up a lot of this movie with the cartoon with the cartoon yeah totally john jameson brought venom down in the cartoon I and i, I kept don't recall thinking, that but yeah okay i kept thinking that dot or the lizard was in one of these three movies and i think i'm thinking of the cartoon again yeah um, well doc connors is in these movies but not the lizard i know they were doing such a good job of layering in characters that yeah. would be relevant later and a lot of it got wasted. Uh, yeah. J.K. Simmons. Uh, he, yeah. He's one of those uh, Charles Xavier, Patrick Stewart <laughs> combinations where it feels like okay. he was born to play this character. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, true. And yeah, J. Jonah Jameson just hates Spider-Man and he will say and do whatever he feels like. Well, in this world of Spider-Man, they don't really, I mean, who do they encounter as far as superheroes go? Like nobody. Spider-Man's it in, in this New York. Yeah, we're kind of just at the beginning of superpowered things and they right. kind of all So he's got this like schlocky newspaper, like the Daily New- the Daily Mail or whatever those shitty newspapers are from London. So he's just sensationalizing everything. He's just like, I don't like that person. <laughs> What's their story? 
and this is the kind of humor that's in this movie more often than not this physical yeah straightforward humor that Raimi brings and it's really all over but you see it a lot at the bugle um there's a great scene with betty brant and elizabeth banks yep yep where she's buzzing him to make him stop talking and he's yeah like what and she's like it's time to take your pill and she keeps buzzing at him as he has to move his finger to the right pill this Uh, is in the third movie yeah yeah Yeah. betty brant was stuff in the third movie the one of the best parts (laughs) of the third movie she now Betty Brand didn't get much to do, unfortunately. That's yeah. That's, She's also like Kirk Connors. That's how she was the best part of the movie. Yeah. Ah. But they actually started going out in the comics, you know, for a little while. He it, and Betty were a thing. Yeah. How do you like that J.K. Simmons was able to reprise the role in the MCU? I like it, but why didn't they give him any hair? He just looks like J.K. Simmons playing J. Jonah Jameson, but I want to see J. Jonah Jameson. He went bald? Or was he bald twenty years ago? He was forty six when he. This Are you telling came out. me that they had no budget to give him hair? Like they gave. I mean, he's been bald. He was bald in the original movies, and they gave him hair. You know what I mean? They've really moved away from having to make every character look just like they were drawn forty years ago. Let's move on to May Parker. Doesn't have much of an arc. Um, husband dies. Uh, her nephew moves mm-hmm. away. She's left alone at a house. She starts. What do you think she starts doing? She either starts drinking or she starts gambling because she's so bored all by herself that she loses the house, has to move into a small apartment. I I think that she is a victim of uh, (laughs) Marion Young back in the 1960s when you uh, were told as a woman you didn't have to have any education or do anything. You just had to rely on finding a man, and he'll take care of you for the rest of your life. And then he fucking dies on her, and she's, like, getting these bills. She's never paid a bill in her life. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where the checkbook is. She doesn't know any- She literally didn't send money anywhere. That's what happened. <laughs> electric Ooh. bill she's like i don't know what this is <laughs> gas bill comes in <laughs> and she's too proud to say anything to peter so she doesn't tell him anything she totally just loses his house that he grew up in just loses doesn't even, it <laughs> doesn't even try to save it i'm just moving out oh <laughs> It's like I grew up here, and she's like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, guess, I guess they're taking it. <laughs> and she's like eighty-five. Why doesn't? Why isn't the mortgage old, on yeah. this house not paid off? I don't. Well, that maybe Ben was up to something. Maybe Ben was the gambler. <laughs> she finds but out anyway. But May comes around with the with the correct advice whenever she's needed, and that's what she's there for. And she has perfect timing <laughs> to always get uh, right. abused by the bad guys. Norman fucks with her. Yep. And then she does her own stunts. So she gets some stuff out there. You know, I mean, she gets some Rosemary Harris gets to kick some ass sometimes. She's still alive. She's 93. Um, yeah. When Doc Ock. She's still alive, really? Still alive. Cool. Good for her. Uh, when Doc Ock trying to rob a bank, uh, Spider Man and Aunt May are at the bank at the same time. Yep. And. She gets Comic mad books. at him for trying to kill Spider-Man <laughs> when he has her up on a building and she right. whacks him with his, uh, with her umbrella, yeah. saving Spider-Man's life. 
Is that pretty much her only arc? Yeah. So it's like she has the perfect like home life that gets disrupted, but she doesn't want to cause trouble for Peter. So she doesn't even mention any of that. Has to leave the house. Gets caught up with Spider-Man business here and there. Yeah, she's just living a... Well, then she, with Peter, you know, find out that the robber who Peter assumed killed his father, his, his uncle was not actually the person that did it, that he was just an accomplice, that the real killer was this person named Flint Marco. And why was Captain Stacy investigating a murder that was solved two years ago? That's my problem. That's what doesn't work in the movie for me, that the guy, the guy comes up to him and says, like, hey, we got some movement on that Ben Parker case. So, uh, so I was like, oh, I guess there was a case was open, you know? And then Peter asks him that straight ahead, and they don't answer it. He just asks it. He asks what the audience asks. Why didn't you tell us about this? And then Stacy's just like, hey, settle down. And then he's like, well, settle down. And then he gets the hell out of there. So cut scene. We never have to find out why he didn't tell him. So it was, it was definitely a cheat as far as the writing goes. The funny thing is, is when it comes to Spider-Man 3, I think the worst part of that movie is the Sandman element. See, I think the Sandman character is perfectly great in the film, but the fact that they retconned him to be his uncle's killer was not a good move. You can't do that. Not you really can't do that. Because the whole reason Spider-Man's who he is is because of that robber killing Uncle Ben. I mean, what was his motivation again? just so that I understand. His daughter is sick. He's trying to get money to help his daughter. And you know how medical costs are in this country that she was probably dying of cancer and he couldn't afford it. They didn't have any insurance. So well, he, he was, was trying to prison. do... Right, but he got arrested because he was trying to steal Kill money. Kill a child. To... No, we don't know why he was in jail. Well, he was in jail because I he got caught after... Yeah, you're right. I don't know why he was in jail. Yeah child right because <laughs> he got away after he accidentally killed uncle ben is what we learned is that he didn't actually kill uncle ben he knew that uncle ben was trying to tell him that you don't want to do this and then he got spooked and the gun went off and he died and he's probably just one of those dudes heart of gold but just fucking always in trouble you know what i mean he played him like he was such an idiot like he, but he was such a perfect Sandman. He was like he, the look and everything, and the way he spoke. Like he was really good at it. That was one where I didn't need that striped shirt. Like it's classic. Uh, but they made it work. I don't know. It, this again, like I know the movie is 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 too fat. It's overloaded. There's too much stuff going on. It doesn't work. Yeah, like none of it is natural. But if but if you take it apart, I'm just like even when he become. Him becoming the Sandman doesn't really like how did the, I don't know you know why that all happened, but when you watch that scene, I still enjoy it. Yeah, that so I don't know. That scene worked. <laughs> it's just right. that, that they didn't have anything for him to do after. Oh, my daughter we're gonna show my daughter once and she's gonna be sick. So I'm gonna spend the rest of the movie maybe robbing stuff, maybe not, maybe getting caught, and then I'm gonna team up with an alien that I meet to battle spider-man because spider-man is the reason that i can't get the money for my kid doesn't everything like even with an overloaded film everything still worked well everything's so edited nicely i just felt like it was overly long and it was too full of ideas but everything did flow very nicely i was surprised at how well the movie holds together even though you know it's not good storytelling it was the best looking of the three yeah. 
and it's fun to watch uh, the special effects evolve from 2002 to yeah 2007 because like you that was s- another detriment from the first movie. Well, it was you- when they totally animated uh, Peter Parker. It didn't, it didn't look good. And they Raimi being Raimi, he tries to use so many practical effects in that first movie, and then you kind of just see it move away and move away. Yeah. Where in Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, you can see the special effects. Spider-Man 3, it's borderline looking like a modern movie now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think he went back to more special or more practical effects in 3. I think 2, they got away from him and went more full-on CGI, but it pretty much worked. I don't know, though. That's just me. I mean, I guess all of the octopus arms were practical unless you were seen... Uh, octopus actually being carried by them then they were cgi that's how i understood it so that was impressive to me those were some of the best special effects that i've seen i hope this makes some sort of sense to people when they listen to this because it is an interesting way of doing it talking about the character arcs but part of me is feeling like we're not talking about the movies at all (laughs) Uh, we're talking all about the movies the relevant parts so that's we did Matt may we did cliff we did james cliff uncle ben um kirsten dunst we're down to her yeah what do you think she's meh yeah her portrayal i remember mary jane as a confident woman that was successful and had a good job like so mary jane dates james franco or harry osborne i can remember every one of these characters names decides that she doesn't like him and that she really cares for somebody else, and that's Peter, Spider-Man. And then Peter, being afraid of the responsibility of Mary Jane getting hurt, loves her too, but he won't tell her that, and so he brushes her off. Uh, These movies are fun because they do have that ending sequence in each of the movies that feature the advancement in Peter and Mary Jane's relationship. And so that was the big ending for part one is where Spider-Man had to swear off Mary Jane to protect her so that she didn't get hurt. Mary Jane is also there most of the time so that she could be attacked because people (laughs) figure out that Peter is Spider-Man and that he loves her. She gets attacked by Norman in this movie where we get a recreation in the first movie. We get a recreation of the Gwen Stacy death scene, Mm. um, which... Every time there's a chick on a bridge, I worry about a Gwen Stacy happening. Thankfully, that didn't happen, and Spider-Man saves her. And then in the second movie, Mary Jane is going to marry J. Jonah Jameson's son, John, because Peter blew her off, and Peter's like, I kind of want to date you because I kind of love you, and she's like, no. And then eventually, she's like, you know what, Peter? Oh, yeah, that's the big climactic scene is she's about to marry the guy and she leaves him at the altar. Yeah. Runs into Peter's house and they kiss, right? But there's one more time where he neglects or he rejects her in that second movie. She gets rejected a lot by Peter. Well, it's pretty complicated. I mean, out of context it sounds like it's just a roller coaster, but it makes sense. I mean, it's their relationship her her arc is just the roller coaster that is Peter because yeah. They get together in between movie two and movie three, and then they're together for a little bit. But then Mary Jane gets super jealous of her boyfriend's success professionally, yeah. even though he's super poor. 
she's jealous of his fame and they grow distant and they just kind of break up well that's her issue she's jealous of his fame but at the same time he's oblivious to her needs yes because he's so swallowed he's loving life in the fame like yeah he's he's never had that before he's always been the guy that everybody hated spider-man and you could never catch a break yeah at one point she goes back and hangs out with harry and they make out a bit peter starts hanging out with a different girl just to piss off Mary Jane, and it pisses her off. And then, uh, this movie's these movies are full of hormones. And at the time, I just we were I full think she's best in the third movie. I really do. I think she gets more of a successful roller coaster ride. Uh, but yeah, I think this is the last time you'll see the damsel in distress in a superhero movie. Yeah, and this is pretty much what Spider Man is. And but again, it's coming out of the early millennium, and this is where it was still a way of telling of telling a superhero movie. So there, she's the damsel in distress. But Raimi's still a good storyteller, where he gives her a lot to do. So she never impressed me too much in the first movie. She was just the it girl, and everybody liked her. So, of course, Peter, and you know what that's like when you're in high school and there's just the attractive girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, she may have amounted to absolutely nothing, but that didn't matter, (laughs) like, you know, in life. But that didn't matter when you're in high school. She's cute. She's the popular one. You like her. So that's Mary Jane. But after they graduate and they start to grow up a little bit, um, yeah, she realizes the thing with Harry is just kind of a leftover high school relationship where... There's just something about Peter that just feels uh, wiser, I think. And that's what attracts her to him. So she wants to start a relationship, basically. But after what happened with Aunt May and the Green Goblin, and he just knows that's the price he has to pay. With great power comes great responsibility. Thinking about what his uncle said, it also means that he has to keep his loved ones safe. So he doesn't want to put her at risk. So that's how the first movie ends. Uh, Second movie... She's doing her thing. She's an actress. She's living her life. And I remember the Mary Jane from the comics where she had like this fucked up background. Like her dad left her. Uh, she walked out on her sister who she was helping raise her kids because she just couldn't take the stress anymore. She was like estranged from her sister and stuff. So that's all like background that, that I knew about in the comics. And that's how she and Peter really came together is that he was there for her when she was working out all of these deep-seated problems she had with her family or whatever. And that's how they really connected. And and after uh, Gwen Stacy died, that was, you know, she was the person that he relied on or whatever. So that's how they ended up connecting and getting married. And, and that's why I really liked them as a couple. But um, Joe Quesada and everybody who took over Marvel in the 90s were just like so offended that Peter was married. They wanted him to be this single cool guy like he used to be, you know? Yeah. So they ruined it all. But I really liked it. I liked that he was married. I liked it too. I don't know if they could have kept it going for another 30 or 40 years, but... um. So the second movie, he's having personal issues with his responsibility in that he's failing in school, which is something he used to love. Oh, uh, that's and where... And the... he's failing at life, which is something he really wants to get better at. And he doesn't, he's like, why can't I be with Mary Jane? She loves me. Why can't I be? And that's where that great scene with Uncle Ben comes in where Ben is trying to tell him, like, you know, from beyond the grave in his dream or whatever, that you have this responsibility. You have to take my hand. You have to be this person I want you to be. And he says, I don't want to be anymore. So he gives up Spider-Man. And once he gives up Spider-Man, that's what makes him think, I can be there for you. Yes, and that's when he... Yeah. And that's where he makes her believe that he is there for her. Yep, and she rejects him right there, but then she'll come mm. back and he'll 
have decided to be Spider-Man again. Yeah. And should, then he's <laughs> going to be like, totally the wrong time. Whoopsies. <laughs> I was having a brain fart too. I know, yeah. which is so like, which is probably the one part of the movie that I thought was like a little like iffy, like, oh, I don't know about that. But at the same time, I thought it was so like, oh, that is such bad timing that it was so hilarious to me that I loved it. I loved that scene. So um, to finish up. Yeah. So yeah, this whole thing with John Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson's son, who's an astronaut, and he has this line about being on the moon, which I just thought was kind of weird. Couldn't he just be an Air Force pilot? Wouldn't that be cool? But maybe not as cool that he would have like a gala in his name. He probably got to be an astronaut for that. He played football on the moon, man. Yeah, football on the moon. Really? <laughs> like we went to the moon again? It just opens up all kinds of questions for me that like, when did NASA make that happen? We haven't been to the moon since the 70s. Why in 2004 did we decide to go back to the moon? To do what? It feels like it should Play be football? so easy for us to do that now. <laughs> like it, it should, would be probably just a few hundred bucks yeah uh, right. so anyway i think that's just her realizing that as troubled as peter is there's just something about him and then of course she finds out he's spider-man and then it all makes sense to her where she's just like but i want to prove to him that i'm not just some damsel in distress that i can handle it and we should be together and that's why it has a great ending but i love the last shot of the second movie where it ends on her kind of thinking like like i hope this works because <laughs> it's got a bittersweet ending almost you know it's a very yeah very iffy one and then we go into the third one they're together but yeah he's finally popular and he can't handle his fame very well where he's kind of um it's gone to his head and he's not there for mary jane where she's kind of flailing in her career so they've kind of switched a little bit and uh she's taking offense to that as any girlfriend would but he's so oblivious to what he's going to propose to her so he's trying to take a step forward, but he's unaware that she is taking steps back. And that's why they're finding this difficult in the relationship. And obviously this gets convoluted when he has the suit, the symbiote, because it makes him into this, like, he turns into the Green Goblin almost. He has a second personality, you know, where he yeah. comes like this, this emo Peter Parker, <laughs> this dude. So it all confuses her, of course, suffice it to say. What I love about Spider-Man 3 is the ending, though, where the first movie, she wants to be with him. He doesn't want to hurt her. The second movie, they finally come together, and she's willing to accept the risk. The third movie, they're older and wiser now, and they realize we are both troubled people, and we got so many fucking problems, and this probably isn't going to work, but I love you. And I want to try to make it work. And that's how the movie ends. And it has this beautiful, bittersweet ending where she just takes his hand and they have this little dance and it just ends on, you know, their faces. Where do we go from here? I don't know. It almost felt like before midnight to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you don't know where they're going to go after this, but you know that they love each other and they're going to try to make it work. You're being more concise than I am when talking about these characters. So, uh. You, that was very good. And that's kind of the reason that I want to just talk about the characters individually yeah. is partially because Spider-Man 3 has so much going on. I don't know how we would properly explain so it. Much going on. Yeah. But when you just look at each character, you can kind of run through their portion of the movie and right. get an idea. In Spider-Man 2, the only real person that we need to talk about is the reason that it's amazing and awesome and that's Alfred the, Molina. He stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> 
Uh, there was a line that I wanted to say in the podcast from Harry, but I can't think of what it was. It might have just been a whole recreation of Harry's whole line with his dad when he's sexist with Mary Jane. But Alfred yeah, Molina right. is such a delight in this movie. Oh, yeah, he's great. This movie works so well because he is such a strong character and embraces that role so well and alfred molina having been active for a bunch of years before and a bunch of years after like oh i knew him really well from boogie nights so when i heard that the guy from boogie nights have you ever seen him in boogie nights uh, i mean you've seen boogie nights yeah not in years he's the crazy dude they go to the house where he's his own where he's wearing underwear and uh, just a robe. He's really skinny in this movie. It's at the very end of the movie where like Dirk Diggler's at his lowest, and they're trying to like f- sell fake dr- coke or whatever, and they're and they're gonna like rob the place. Uh, yeah, you gotta see it. It's <laughs> it's such a good scene. And he has this Chinese friend who keeps setting off fireworks. So like every ten seconds, it goes bam, and they're like, and he's just like dancing around. He's like, I want to be with Jesse's girl. Anyway, so that's an Alfred Molina. I always remember him from Species. I don't remember because him from he was one of the many overqualified people for that movie, like yeah. to be in it. Uh, Doc Ock is a mad scientist, kind of like that's my another problem with Harry. Harry's running Oscorp and he's trying to have this good sense, but. He funds this crazy crackpot idea by this smart scientist. We don't even honestly know if he's smart. We have never seen a successful experiment by Doc Ock in these movies. Well, generally, when you're a smart scientist, it's not because you have proven experiments. It's because you've written amazing papers. And that's it, right? I mean, that's all you got to do. I mean, I don't know what Einstein did other than... <laughs> it's not like he bent space and time together. Well, he wasn't Edison, right? I mean, he didn't, like, patent. I don't know. Maybe he patented all kinds. Of... I have no idea. Maybe all those no idea. patents but I feel at the like... patent office were his, and he kept making them to keep in business. And uh, Hawking, Stephen Hawking, I don't think he, they, I don't think they actually produced anything ever <laughs> they just wrote dissertations and papers and that's why they're they geniuses so i think that's him and the thing about otto octavius is that he's a genius on paper but when you actually let him do something he wasn't any good at it however he did make the arm did which he really they never say incredible that. it yeah, just looks he created them it's just basically lab equipment <laughs> but somebody said that like he constructed oh. I think somebody in the audience says that he constructed those arms to work on them. Or maybe he said it himself that he constructed these arms well, to work th- that, safely. That kind of makes sense because they also broke. True. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a scientist who's working with Harry. And Harry's invested a ton of money in his program, which would make fusion work, which is the dream. Um, Can I just one little brief thing? The arms, to me, remind me of the way archaeologists talk about uh, Indiana Jones films is that they're like, you watch an Indiana Jones... The, the, the reason archaeologists find them laughable is because we you think that Indy wants to go get the idol, like that's the amazing thing, you know, in this temple. They're like, no, the incredible thing about the temple is all of the booby traps that the civilization created and the technology that went into creating these amazing booby traps. That is, they're saying that is way more interesting than any idol that's made of gold. And that's what I thought about the, the, the arms. I'm like, what are you talking about? The arms are the most amazing part of whatever you're doing here with this fusion thing. That is nothing 
compared to like the cool as shit thing with these arms you made like they got a life of their own like it's incredible no one has ever created that kind of technology before but everybody's just like ooh fusion and i'm like the sun does that all the time who cares <laughs> uh that's actually a really good point anyway and yeah they do the experiment peter's there aunt may's probably there for some reason and <laughs> i don't think she's there <laughs> but she could have been you're right <laughs> um she drove peter <laughs> she's like ah, can i come up all right fine damn it um, just don't get so near me, me. there might be a girl there there might be a girl oh my god you're still don't span near me. <laughs> They'll be like, is this your grandmother? No, it's my aunt. Jesus. How old are you? <laughs> is there a big age gap between his mom and you? She might be his great aunt. Well, in this iteration, yeah, probably. Because did they ever talk about Peter's parents being no. Ben's brother? They'd never bring or up his father being his brother? Because that's how it is in the comics. So, Doc Ock... <laughs> The experiment goes wrong. The uh, arms wrong. get fused to Doc Ock's back. Uh, yep. Spider-Man unplugs his experiment, which pisses him off, even though he's going to destroy something. Um, yeah. The arms, the one misfire they make with this movie, and I don't even know why it's in there, like the arms have their own personality. It's their yeah, own the most, AI. The, one of the funniest parts of the movie is when the reporter, out of all the questions she could ask, well, how, how do you how do you make sure that the arms aren't going to control you? <laughs> because they have their own mind or something. He's like, oh, I'm glad you asked that question. This inhibitor chip in the back of my neck is what keeps them from taking control of my brain. And so I can control them. Why did like, you... Wow, that's that's a that's an issue. I guess that's something the news media would, would think about. Why did you put ai into the arms sir that's the only way they would work but um there's probably two i mean you got four arms that's a lot of brain power for just your brain to do you know you probably would just give them a little bit of a push and they would know what you would need and that's how they would work jointly together that's what i think that's why you need ai the again chip the weeds. gets <laughs> the chip gets fried out well do you remember the original yep. doc ock and that little it was like a corset. Yeah, and he had like a, a the dial, the old rotary phone dials on them, and that's how you would control them. Yeah, and, yeah. and then eventually, but then got... every like everything that happened in the '60s in a comic is that well, not everything, but most things was a nuclear. Like there was a uranium and plutonium, and that would fuck with your chemistry. So he was in an explosion in a nuclear power plant, and the radiation made it so he could just his brain would just now control the arms that's how the comics worked and that's all you needed yeah anyway same concept here the arms are alive now and they're starting to mess with doc ock's brain and doc ock wakes up and these arms separate from doc ock kill all the doctors in the hospital and when we watched that scene that was the first time i was just like that is the most sam raimi this whole series has been you know like he was really able to let loose in that scene i had to fast forward it because my kids were terrified of it uh there's a couple <laughs> moments in here where uh mary jane in the first movie was on top of the bridge mm -hmm. and she almost fell off the side because she didn't know she was up there and yeah. you felt that fear yeah right along with like, her careful and <laughs> it was pretty impressive to pull that off it'd be hard the shot would have to be just so to... oh the same thing happened when I was watching Batman, when uh, he takes Vicky Vale to the Batcave, and it's all dark, and she steps out of the Batmobile, 
And he's like, hey, why, watch your step. And he turns on the lights. It's like a fucking 100-foot drop into a cave. And she could have died. <laughs> like, what if she had just taken one extra step? He would have been like, ah, <laughs> shit. Nobody would ever know. She would just disappear. Uh, Bruce just Wayne's not going to say anything. One more for the bottom of the cave. <laughs> yes. Mm. She wasn't the first. She Maybe won't. another body would break it or fall. She won't be the last. Um so yeah, Doc Ock becomes obsessed with doing his experiment again. Do we remember why? Well, it's because the again the arms are like in his head, and they and they talk it over with him. Like if Spider Man wasn't everything was working until Spider Man got there. <gasps> if Spider Man hadn't interfered, it would have worked. It would have stabilized. And he's honestly just going and robbing banks to get money to buy the parts that he needs. Comic so books. You gotta rob banks and comic books. He goes to Walmart, <laughs> robs a bank. I don't know where he gets that goes stuff. Goes to Best Buy. Even where he, he chose this old, like, flooded out, whatever it is. I don't know. Like, uh... Uh, It was an old port. Okay, yeah. I mean, where does yeah. he get power to power all that stuff? Like, who's paying that bill? Not, uh, not Aunt May. Fusion. <laughs> duh. Well, yeah, but he hasn't made the fusion yet. <laughs> I know. I know. So, anyways. Um, yeah, you know what? I didn't. I didn't let that bother me. That... It it looked cool when I was watching Batman Returns when I was a kid, and uh, it's that scene where <laughs> Batman gets brought up in everybody's podcast. Uh, when the when the Penguin is at the podium and Bruce has the CD, number one, he does the DJ scratching with a CD, which does not happen. But also, when I was a kid, he closes the CD cover and it has a little Batman insignia on it, and I'm like, where did he get that made? Did he like shop that out? Like, isn't somebody asking, like, why is this guy getting all this Batman? Clearly, he made it in like a sweatshop that Wayne Industries owns in I Korea. I guess so. I just thought yeah. that was like a little much. But anyway, whatever. I digress. So he runs into Spider Man a couple times. Yep. And Spider Man keeps thwarting him. Uh, he grabs Aunt May at one point, which we already mentioned. And yep. he's really just going to kill Aunt May. Because he's mad at Spider-Man, so he is really becoming unhinged. Yeah, he's so unhinged. Like, I, it's hard to imagine that someone could change from who they were to this desperate person he became. That might be a little bit of a far fetch for me in the movie as well. But again, doesn't doesn't bother me. So we did forget to mention that Doc Ock was married and his wife is killed in the accident as yes. well. That's um, another they, reason. Of course, they really seem to be in love. Yeah, because he was given romance advice to Peter because yeah. he had such a successful relationship. Oh, yeah. Which this bad guy proved... also met Peter and also yes, really he was like a mentor him. to Peter. Yeah. Yes, uh, which proved that nerds can find love, and I think that is what that Otto's successful relationship is what let, leads Peter to believe that he may he should make it work with Mary Jane. Yeah, nerds can find love. Doc Ock then goes on. After beating up his aunt, like Norman, he goes to beat up his girlfriend because Harry... Did Harry tell him? Harry, uh, Doc Ock needs... Tritium. This, yeah, Trillium or whatever that makes it all work. And only Harry can get it for him with the power of Oscorp. So he goes to him. And Osborne's like, all right, I'll help you, but you have to get Spider-Man for me. Go find Peter Parker. He takes Spider-Man's photos all the time. He'll tell you where he is. And then he's just like, but don't hurt him because he's my friend. Uh, shit. I hope he's hey, audience. Friend. Do you see how all these little storylines are intersecting? It's cool. But that again, that is another Spider-Man trope in the comics. That The fact that he was Spider-Man's photographer. So, oh yeah. And he meets Peter 
with Mary Jane. They're together yep. when he goes to beat up Peter. Yeah. So Doc Ock's like, okay, well, I'll just throw one car through the cafe. <laughs> How many other people in that cafe do you think are dead, though? Just so many. The baristas, like, for sure. He takes Mary Jane with him to make sure that Peter follows through on getting Spider-Man there. And we get this great climactic battle between Spider-Man and Doc Ock. And Doc Ock gets his machine up and running. Crazy thing, it doesn't work again because he's a bad scientist. Yeah. Um, I think the arms are really to blame for most of this. They're bloodthirsty AI creations. And the it's a they, really weird AI. I know. And they're they're really leading him to believe that this is the the right thing to do, even though he know so he he knows it's not gonna work in his right mind, but they're making him believe it'll it, it's it's all he should be doing with his time is that trying to recreate this experiment that will work. And once again, Spider Man loses his mask because that's the most popular thing he does in these movies is take his mask off. Yeah. And he reasons with think, Doc Ock. Yeah, I think he just took it off, right? I think so, so yeah. that Doc Ock saw it was him, and yeah. Doc Ock kind of snaps out of it. Yeah, and a, there are a, there are a lot of memorable lines because yeah. he says something to the effect of, "I don't want to die a monster." Yeah, and also I love when he when the the hands the the arms are trying to take control again, and he's just like, "You listen to me now." And I mean, so that's they drown much... it. That's the only thing they can do with it. Luckily, he built his thing on the water. But that's where Mary Jane sees that Peter. That is spider-man, Spider-Man. yeah and great it's a great moment. reveal great yeah. reveal. i mean what it an amazingly worked. shot i mean the movie just looks incredible especially in that final climatic scene like thinking of how Raimi directed that is beyond me it's uh, i was just the pacing of it is crazy yeah like he has so many short quick shots like it didn't feel like the normal sam raimi style it's like sam raimi adapted to what he thought the comic book style should be yeah. And people say that he invented the comic book style by doing yeah. that. But yeah, just lots well, it's of almost quick... like the first movie was like a dry run. And so he knew what he was doing for the second one. And he could and he, he didn't have to worry about the origin, you know, so the movie opens up to him and he's able to tell the kind of Spider-Man story, you know, the best way possible. And that's why the second one really, you know, was like the crowning achievement of his Spider-Man movies. I'm really surprised after him using the previously on style of recapping that was so popular in comics it's i'm surprised he didn't do that in these movies well he does in the credit sequences off the top you you get a rundown of what happened in the last movie but no like where the narrator says you know like bruce campbell ash would say what was happening in the last one yeah and in this movie we get bruce campbell over and over and over is it the same guy who keeps getting fired I don't think so. Maybe. I would love it if it was. Um, <laughs> so he's a, uh, a wrestling announcer in the first movie. Yep. Gets fired. Gets a job as a doorman outside of uh, an off-Broadway play. Yep. Uh, and then gets a job as a maitre d' because he has a fake French accent. Yep. I think most people would say he wasn't because he's French in the next one. But I'm just like, hey, he's an American actor pretending to be a French maitre d even in the movie it's a fake accent so i oh, think yeah. he is the same person <laughs> and uh he pretty much admitted i think this was just today that he is going to be in dr strange oh for god's so, sakes really so we totally called that <sighs> well he should be 
He should be something more than a cameo. That's it would be nice if he was Why something he more than a cameo. Why can't he just be an actor? Can he just be a goddamn actor in a movie, please? I don't know if he does that anymore. Uh, Why does he just cameo all the time? But, yeah, he put up a post on Twitter that said, just leaving this great city where I finished shooting a scene with a friend and a great actor. Don't know which one, though. Something like that. And it was a picture mm-hmm. of London where they're shooting Spider-Man. I see. But what are your thoughts on Alfred Molina returning for the new Spider-Man movie? I don't, I mean, I don't know anything about it. I mean, it was reported by... that's all we know, he's going to be in it, what the fuck do you... (laughs) What do you know? I mean, that's just... (laughs) If there's one character that you could pull out of these movies and successfully put them in the MCU, I think it's Molina. Can you pull anyone out of these movies and successfully put them in a new universe? I mean, their whole history is tied to these other movies. Like, well, what sense is that going to make? I mean, if they do Molina and they have it work like they think it's going to, my guess is that, like, just before that thing blows up in the river, like, a little bubble opens and snaps him out. That is the... St- I mean, are you hearing what you're saying? This is the stupidest thing ever. He I died. Mean, <laughs> I'm... Sure that they're gonna do something. I, I think, and I haven't. You know, we're recording this before the last episode of that WandaVision show too. But I think Evan Peters reprising his role as Quicksilver from the X Men movies is just stunt casting. It's just them it's, having some fun with it. It's and looking I think the like same that was thing. just stunt casting. Yeah, and I think the same thing with Alfred Molina is that they just are bringing him back to be a new version of Dr. <laughs> Octopus. I don't think he's going to be the same Dr. Octopus, but they're not going to bother us with an origin story. He's just going to be Dr. Octopus the same way Jamie Foxx is just going to be be electro but a new version of it that's what i think but i could be wrong yeah why would you want to bring all that in what are you trying to do are you trying to make another spider-man 3 by just convoluting everything you know with all this backstory again like is there sony influence here that are looking that's looking to build on spider-man into the spidey verse possibly but i just i don't think that it's I don't think they'll ever bring back the Maguire verse. No. It had a chance to wrap up and it wrapped up great. That is pretty much all of the characters in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. <sighs> now we're in Spider-Man somebody. 3. <laughs> Let's start. Where do we start? Oh, I I have an idea. Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. Uh as we talked about him a little. We talked about him a little and because it's such an easy, short thing. He plays a guy made of sand who's trying to steal money to help his sick daughter. But he also murdered a guy in the first movie for no real reason. Other than, oh, it was an accident. Yeah. yeah. He didn't mean to. So he and, turns out to be the real killer of Uncle Ben is yep. what this movie does. In order to give three a storyline, they changed you know, the whole mythos of the whole Spider-Man thing. So I think that was a misfire. However, Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman... He's uh, it's a pretty faithful adaption of the character from the comics, and the character from the comics is just kind of a dummy, strong guy. And I think he does a good job of doing that, but they give him a little more to do where he's like this dude with a with a heart of gold. He's just a petty crook, and he's just trying to get money for his daughter's surgery because she's got the cancers. And he he's says, not a- "I'm not a I'm not a bad guy. I just have had bad luck." Accent, it just kind of ends with him flying away. But to me, it was like Peter got so big on himself in the movies that he thought he could do no wrong because he's a hero. I, to me, the movie is about even heroes make mistakes 
and the people you think are villains can also do good. And that's where Harry has finds retribution. And that's where he learns that Flint Marco isn't just your run of the mill villains. Like he is, he is a, a guy that's had bad luck. So I think that's why he just let him go. It, it kind of sums him up pretty good though. Yeah. Let's move on to Topher Grace. Um, one of the worst human beings alive on earth (laughs) and why do people teeth was a big misfire why do people keep yes why would you change his actor's teeth yeah like he's a part of a symbiote the symbiote has the teeth so wait let's talk about the symbiote real quick and then Mm -hmm. we'll do tover you brought it up briefly about john jameson and i thought that that was i thought the same thing like why didn't they have him return for the third movie bringing it back from space yeah no but it's just an asteroid that lands yeah. on earth and like they ooze. give it no reason <laughs> yeah and we just all are like all right <laughs> whatever I mean, what are you gonna do you can't argue with that uh it latches onto peter's bike follows peter home uh it latches onto the costume and it mixes with his costume and it starts to affect pete because the symbiote is an alien and it's putting its thoughts kind of like doc ox yeah freaking arms uh into peter and it causes peter to have different personalities and be more confident and cocky but also just basically a dick but then peter realizes <laughs> that it's the costume that's making him be a freaking dick and yeah. he accidentally makes a bell ring which is true to the comics the venom symbiote doesn't like it's a great another great set piece i loved that part of the movie and as crazy and convoluted as the story is it all fit together nicely like topher grace goes to church (laughs) to pray he's got that great line come on that is perfect he goes to pray and he says i want you he's asking god to kill peter parker god, i'm, I'm so happy with that line it was the funniest so thing i couldn't stop laughing i hate Topher Chris so much so anyways it's a great set piece where peter gets the symbiote off him because he realizes that's loud uh, sonic sounds is what scares the uh symbiote so he's able to get the symbiote custom off of him and that's where he gets on to tofer yes edward brock who is a reporter peter's new rival at the bugle yeah he's basic what did they say he's basically peter's shadow and that the only real difference between the two of them was that eddie brock had a bad childhood well, Peter was raised by a happy family or something mm-hmm. like that see i didn't get any of that i just thought that brock wanted to take the easy way to yeah. be successful and that's why he faked photos which is also why peter does it he does it the easy way as well <laughs> he does do it the easy way but at least he puts in the work as spider-man in order to then get yeah. the easy way for the photos i don't know whatever yeah so eddie brock but, um, talks himself into a job at the daily bugle a job that peter's always wanted but then he starts faking pictures you know what if i'm lying at work and I get caught, I don't go after the person who caught me. I feel guilty for getting caught or for doing the bad thing in the first place. Peter had every right in the world to point out that this was his photo and this guy faked it. Like, that's such a clear and easy, yeah, you can't get mad at me for this. This was mine. You stole it. Well, this is Eddie. Eddie's an asshole. Yeah. You know, he doesn't need the symbiote to make him a bad guy. It just makes him more powerful. So the symbiote latches onto him, and the 
the symbiote kind of imprinted is basically a copy of spider-man's costume that's why he looks like just a dark monstery thing mm-hmm. so um, i they lost the white though i don't know why they could have included the white. and in fact i read that the cinematographer was having a very hard time shooting because they got two black figures in the movie which is mostly shot at night the reason they don't have the white is because spider-man 3 is a bad movie but um <laughs> so it's just some design choice for some venom reason. is just out there to fuck with peter at this point well the symbiote hates him yeah. for rejecting him and now eddie hates him for getting him fired and just for being better at a person than he is and the so, symbiote yeah, tells him that peter's spider-man and so wanting to mess with him he teams up with Kane Marco to fight Spider-Man. The Sandman. Yeah. Who got caught in a particle accelerator by climbing a really easy-to-climb chain-link fence <laughs> for such a dang- dangerous military installation. That and was doing experiments had, in the middle yeah, of the night. Exactly. And had Next his to a body... <laughs> right. <laughs> and had his body with mixed with sand and that's how he became he could control he was made of sand now and he can control sand and he can become a giant monster and stuff i don't know if we ever covered that but that's him anyway uh where we're going oh topher grace yeah topher grace (laughs) yeah so he's venom he hates venom (laughs) they have this big final battle and i don't remember who offs the symbiote peter uses all those pipes in this construction area to just do a wall of sound Oh, yeah. He's able. Another cool thing where he shoots the web at him and yanks him out of the symbiote. I love that part. So the symbiote's all like, and he takes the pumpkin bomb from Harry, who was dispatched just a little bit ago by getting stabbed. So Peter takes the pumpkin bomb and tosses it into the symbiote. It explodes, but Topher's such a dick and doesn't really know what consequences are. It's like, no! And he jumps at it and he gets dissolved too. So Eddie Brock's dead, the Venom symbiote's dead and then harry dies but him and mary jane and uh, peter i mean mary jane of course she's always a damsel in distress but at least she's around for the important parts that way yeah her damsel in distress in three is good they all get to hold harry as he dies with his scarred haggard face yep which is what i kept staring at while he was doing anything on screen topher grace spent six months working out to prepare for the role gaining Eh. 24 pounds of muscle i didn't you should have spent it. more time practicing <laughs> your lines. Still looked like Foreman to me. Yep. yep. All right. Let's move on to Bryce Dallas Howard. Yep. As Stacy. Gwen Stacy. Such a completely unnecessary character in the movie. I mean, I think they knew this was the end. If you're going to have another love interest, just, just to get in the way between the two that Peter can use to kind of make her jealous and someone that can like, you know, mac on Spider-Man the way Mary Jane was in the first movie. Might as well just make her Gwen Stacy. I think that's what they were thinking. Yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, because I don't see her characterization of Gwen Stacy. Say they make a fourth, fifth and sixth movie. I don't see her becoming the Gwen Stacy that ends up getting killed. I did not realize this was Bryce Dallas Howard until I watched it this time. And I mean, this was well, that's the first time I really remember seeing her. I, my first memory of her is always the village. Was this before or after the village? This was this was after the village. Yeah, this was oh seven. That was like oh four or something. I think. Yeah, all right. Yeah, maybe um, that was the first time I saw her. Then, but I just remember her from Spider Man three, and that she was around Howard's kid. Do you have anything exciting to say about Gwen Stacy? Uh, no. These movies definitely have a girls is a plot device problem all the way through. Yeah. 
like now that I'm really taking a step back, yeah, it's like I don't want to convince you that it's a good movie. I mean, I'm not going to say it works as a film, but I do think you just all these three films together, like it just tells this great story, like this whole story, this whole world they created, everything really comes together, you know? And and for me, it was the bigger uh, picture is more important than maybe some of the things that didn't work. And mostly it's all the back end in the third movie where things don't work the most, but it didn't ruin the storyline for me. I'm, appreciate that point of view because i can see where you're coming from and you're able to defend some of your points well other than the whole race thing james cromwell as captain george stacy yeah i mean and there's a whole other storyline that they're not we're never going to touch in the story because she he's the first one to die spider-man's not able to save him yeah and he's completely useless in this movie, just like. His and there was something daughter. about, and I don't, I'm not too up on the Captain Stacy part, but I think he was a friend to Spider-Man, or he was a father figure, or he was becoming a father figure to Peter. I forget which one, but he meant a lot to him. And then losing him was the first part. Again, he's just there in name only. If you're gonna have a captain, might as well be Captain Stacy. Are there any other cast members at the Bugle that you want to play? Uh, Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi. You know, Sam's younger brother, who's just a good foil for, or a good straight man against J. Jonah Jameson's craziness. Yeah. Full of good lines. In the second movie, he has that great part where when Peter gives up being Spider-Man and the, and the trash guy finds the suit, he brings the suit to J. Jonah Jameson, pays him for it, and then hangs it on there like, I did that. And then... When his son's fiance, who happens to be Mary Jane, is now kidnapped, Jadra Jameson realizes maybe I should have been a supporter of Spider-Man this whole time. And he's like about to come to that realization. And that's when, if I just would have been on his side, and then Ted Raimi steps in to be like, because he's the only one that could have saved her. <laughs> he's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> that's my point. Yeah. He's good. Uh, the guy who played Robbie Robertson, he was perfectly fine. I didn't am... give him a lot to do. Remember him from things to do in denver when you're dead i just i don't remember him from anything but these movies so have you seen that movie movie? no it's a fun little popcorn movie with andy garcia yep i like andy garcia what kind of things are there to do in denver when you happen to be dead i don't think there's much (laughs) all right so to wrap to wrap this up we have one character left toby mcguire as spider-man did we talk about him enough already see that's just kind of nice is that we've really done a lot of the elements peter's i'm gonna driven. go out on a limb here and think that you don't know if toby mcguire is a good actor or not no he's fine <laughs> that's normally one of your questions about actors are they good toby mcguire <laughs> is the definition of uh, what was the alternate title to these movies uh something white man mediocre uh, white man yeah he's the definition of medo- mediocre white man I don't know. I feel like he's he's one of those rare breeds where like someone of his caliber could actually lead a franchise that they wouldn't really let them do that anymore. I could totally see them doing something with a multiverse with Doc Ock and bringing him over, but I do not believe the rumors that Maguire or Garfield will be in the MCU just because they I think would it'd clash be a, yeah, so hard. I think it'd be a major. It's just so strange. I don't like the tones. one thing doesn't have to be the other. These were their own things, and the tones are just so totally oh, different. Way out of way out of left field. Yeah. yeah. So I don't believe those rumors. I don't think you should either. But 
we know but for then a fact. we could totally be surprised that they do it anyways yeah and that'll be <laughs> and fun. find a way to make it funny and enjoyable and maybe that's all it would ever be anyways i don't know that's been rumored but it's been widely published that melina and jamie fox are in that new movie so we know yeah. something is happening um yeah i love mcguire as a he's my spider-man i mean just, just the way growing up was always like michael keaton was our batman you know that kind of thing He's this Peter Parker. Like, Parker is supposed to be uh, an awkward nerd and not that attractive, you know? I mean, like, he, like, is, like, the girl with the glasses and, and like, once she, like, puts her hair down and takes off, she turns out that she's, like, really good looking, you know? Like, he's that. So, he like, he grows into himself. Like, he becomes someone that would have stood out in high school. But that's why I like Bob McGuire because he's not your average leading man. And that, to me, has always been Peter Parker. And that's why I think that Andrew Garfield was just a too modern version of Spider-Man because he's, ah, we need to have a good-looking leading lead man, you know, that kind of thing. More standard good-looking leading man. And then the same thing with Tom Holland where it's way too new for me. It's just not, it's not the Peter Parker the way it should be. Toby doesn't exactly nail every line but the awkward and the cringiness of it is kind of, kind of makes it work for me because I'm just like, man, he's so awkward. And he is. And yeah. Do you have another person in 2000, 2001, 2002 that could have been Spider-Man that you thought would have worked? Oh. I think it would have been a giant mistake to have DiCaprio, you know, or, or somebody else of his caliber that they were always talking or Freddie Prince Jr. or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Heath Ledger. There's... Jake Gyllenhaal. I just feel like these would have been maybe Gyllenhaal, but I mean I feel Franco like would have been a bad yeah idea. Gyllenhaal, and then Franco tried. See, I think Franco would have been a mistake. I think he was too good looking for it. Yeah, I think he would he's have been just like too a classically good looking. Yeah, Sam Raimi threw shade at Freddie Prince Jr. Apparently, I don't know if it's cited, but it said Prince when talking about the rumors. He said Prince Jr. wouldn't have been allowed to even buy a ticket to the movie. <laughs> Why? Because he's so... What does that mean? I don't know. It sounds like I don't want Freddie Prince Jr. near me. It sounds like he's too young is what he means. Oh. So he's he's only 12? He was probably 25. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. What does that mean? Well, Freddie Prince Jr. is fine. I have nothing against him. Yeah, He like bounced him. back. Uh, he's uh, now starring on the Punky Brewster reboot oh, on the Peacock Network. Do you know that? Uh, I think he plays Punky's ex-husband. <laughs> I think they're rebooting everything they're rebooting everything i heard there's a new fraser coming out too well that's all kelsey Grammer. not a reboot the title but, well yeah you can't lose that title he's been playing the same character for the longer than anyone right it's either longer or tied i think it's longer one of the two the one reboot that i'm looking forward to is uh criminal minds they're doing oh. a 10 episode criminal minds all about one case oh. and that'll be fun Interesting. All right. Do we have anything more to say about Well, Sir we didn't Peter really Parker? talk much about Spider-Man. <laughs> we talked a lot about him during the course of the episode. I mean, my point is that he's awkward. That works for me as Peter Parker. I just like his character arc. I mean, it's very believable in the second one. And then I liked in the third movie where they made him popular. Like, that was kind of a move that I didn't expect, I remember, because everybody always, Spider-Man was always the unlucky dude. So it's like he wasn't on top of the world but as Peter Parker, but he was as Spider-Man, which was kind of a funny thing. Definitely what we have to talk about is the way Raimi portrayed him as the bad Peter. It really killed it for me when I initially saw it, but I've come to appreciate it. And much in the way that, 
we were talking about Raimi's Army of Darkness and that whole long scene where Bruce Campbell has the Three Stooges slapstick oh, yeah. scenes with him and the little Bruce is running around everywhere. And and I'm like, totally falls flat for me. I don't find it funny, but I appreciate that that's his thing and it's Raimi-esque and I'm okay with it. And that's now how I feel about the dance sequence with Peter and everything else that has to do with bad Peter because... It's just Raimi being Raimi, and he likes the goofiness of it all. It's edited well, as it, goofy as it is. It's edited very well. <laughs> well, man, that is all I have to say about the Spider-Man movies. They were a big success, too. Yeah. Like, there was going to be a fourth one, like we talked about, and it really came down to Sam Raimi left, and they gave up on it and went for the reboot instead. Anyway, that is going to be it. Uh, join us next week as we discuss one of the greatest sequels that I've never seen. A sequel that I've never seen, an underappreciated sequel. So yeah, we're going to be talking Chinatown and the Two Jakes. So yeah, join us. And I think most people will be happy to know that there was a Chinatown sequel because I don't think anybody knows it. On purpose. Like for real. Check reals. it out. Yeah. So yeah, check so it out and then listen to our podcast. The two Jakes. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us reviews. I'm Justin. I'm Aaron. And we'll we'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye.